0: Welcome to the Keon Sports Podcast here on the outside deck, the beautiful studios, the outside beautiful studios here of Keon Sports. As you know, all week long, it's been uh, professional wrestling week, uh, last week as well, and we have another uh, legend on today with the Patriot, Del Wilkes. Grab yourself something cold to drink, grab your American flag, sit back and relax. Here he is, Del Wilkes. All right, on the hotline now, Del Wilkes, you guys knew him as the Patriot. Del, welcome to the show.
1: Appreciate you
0: having me, man. Oh, absolutely. We've had uh, quite a few of um, your partners there with the uh, AV Client uh, Network of podcasts this week. So uh, glad to include you as well. Um, I wanted to ask you too. I'm out here in Northeast Ohio. We're big football fans here. Very big into high school football, college football, and obviously professionals. I wanted to start off by asking you when when you were playing at South Carolina how how did that help prepare your body and also your soul? for an eventual career in pro wrestling what types of things did that really help
1: well i think just the toughness that um, uh, you know was generated from guys that play football there have been a lot of guys that have come from a football background that have gone on to have very good career uh careers as professional wrestlers and uh, i think there's a lot that goes with it the discipline uh the toughness um Football is a very, very physical sport. It's a a violent sport, uh, and professional wrestling is very physical as well. I mean, we know it's entertainment, but it's still a very physical form of entertainment. So I think it conditions you mentally and physically. Football does to prepare for uh, what you put your body through in the world of pro wrestling. And uh, there are times in the ring when, you know, you may be hurting or you may be blown up and you just don't feel like you can keep going, but you realize you have to. You learn that from a football field and from playing football. So I just think the mental toughness, uh, the intestinal toughness, uh, the physical toughness. Uh, I found out that in the world of pro wrestling, uh, guys that come from a football background didn't do a lot of whining in the ring. Maybe if you accidentally, you know, potated somebody or stiffed somebody, uh, you didn't hear a lot of complaining, you know, guys with a football background. Uh, they just kept moving, kept going. So I, I think just all around toughness uh helps prepare you for
0: the world of pro wrestling. You had started into the world of uh, pro wrestling and not too long into it. You went to work for a legend of the ring in, in Vern Gagne and the AWA. And this was during a time in which the AWA w- was on ESPN, had a lot of national exposure. Um, obviously, WWF w- was well ahead of them by this point. However, AWA was still a pretty big thing. What was it like wrestling for a promoter like Vern Gagne?
1: Well, it was a thrill for me, you know, long before I broke into the business, I was a fan of the business. And even though I was born and raised here in South Carolina, uh, I knew who Vangania was just through the magazines. Uh, When I was a kid, you know, I'll be be 60 years old this December, but when I was a kid and my mom would uh, go to the grocery store on Fridays or Saturdays, uh, I would always sit at the magazine rack in the store and just sit there and flip through the wrestling magazines. So I had a pretty good knowledge of everything pro wrestling at 10, 11, 12 years old. So I was very well aware of who Vern was, uh, the AWA, the kind of territory, the kind of company it was, the kind of talent that had come through there. Um, So it was a thrill for me to be a part of that. Now, when I got there, you're exactly right. They were on ESPN five days a week, Monday through Friday from 4 to 5 o'clock Eastern time. But that was really about the only positive thing the company had going for it in because it was literally on life support. Uh, They were trying to stay alive. They were trying to be relevant. They were trying to be meaningful and they did did everything they could to try to do that. But uh, it just, the business had changed territory were dying. And that one was dying a slow, painful death. Uh, But in spite of that, it did allow me the opportunity uh, to be on worldwide TV, uh, sometimes up to five days a week. So it helped expose me to a large, large audience, not only across America, but even around the world as well. It helped open some doors for me. And uh, matter of fact, I, um, I still communicate quite a bit with Greg Ganya. And uh, we were talking about that just the other day when he was on our show on Sunday nights, Unmasking the Truth, and just the importance of uh, the role uh, that the AWA, Vern Gagne and, and Greg Gagne played in the development of, of Bill Wilkes as a professional wrestler.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I'm old enough to remember the AWA. I was definitely a big fan of it. Um, and it, it's funny, too, because, you know, please correct me if I'm wrong, but towards the tail end, you were, you were known as the Trooper. Eventually, you end up with WCW under a mask called the Patriot. How did all that come about?
1: Well, there was a lot in between that before I got to WCW. Uh, when the AWA finally closed their doors and, and just went belly up, they were no, no longer able to, to keep going. The, the the money just wasn't there, um, and uh, they just were, you know, literally cash strapped and, and could not continue. So they went out of business, and there was an upstart company called the Global Wrestling Federation uh that was starting to form. There was a lot of talk and, and, and rumblings that this company was gonna be coming up and they were gonna be on ESPN the same time slot that the AWA had. And sure enough that all came to fruition. And so I was contacted by the guy ran the Global Wrestling Federation, Joe pedicino Bill Edie and uh they wanted me to come out to dallas texas that's where global was going to do all of their tv tapings it was basically a tv company we ran a few shows here and there but they were going to tape everything from the old sportatorium in dallas texas and uh like i said be on espn monday through friday from uh, four to five o'clock. And so I did so, they FedExed me a ticket and nobody told me anything any different. So I loaded up my trooper gear and I flew out to Dallas, Texas, fully expecting that I was gonna continue to work as a trooper, what I'd been doing for the AWA on ESPN. And literally that Friday, um, we were gonna do the first TV taping ever for the Global Wrestling Federation. And uh, we were all standing at the same hotel, all the talent and all the uh, office people. And uh, Bill Leedy called me and wanted me to come over to his hotel room, come over to his room, and he was in there with Joe Petticino. And uh, they presented me then and there. Um, Joe also had his wife, Bonnie Blackstone, with him. And they laid out this idea to me for a character called the Patriot. Uh, And at this time, our military... Uh, was involved in what would soon become a war in the Middle East, uh, mm-hmm. if, you, if you remember correctly. Back Absolutely. In the early 90s, yep. uh, Iraq had invaded Kuwait and occupied Kuwait. We sent our military in uh, to remove Iraq and push him back. So it was a very... Patriotism was very high at that particular point. And Joe and Bill Leedy felt like that they could take a character called the Patriot and capture uh, that high level of patriotism. And uh, so they presented it to me. They already had the, uh, matter of fact, Bonnie had brought a uh, brown, old brown grocery bag, paper bag uh, with her. And she unrolled it, and she pulled out the red, white, and blue tights, the red, white, and blue mask, the red, white, and blue trucks. And they already had the gear. They brought it with them. And uh, they said, we think you're the guy that can pull this off. And I agreed to do it. And that night, for the first time anywhere, you know, wrestling fans saw the Patriot. And that crowd in the sportatorium went nuts. I mean, they just went crazy when I went walking down the aisle that night. So I felt like from the very beginning, that I mean, that first night that we were on to something good. And uh, after being in Global uh, for a short period of time, maybe a year, I had the opportunity to go to Japan and work in all Japan for Mr. Baba. And uh, I spent about a year and a half there, and then after that was when the opportunity arose for me to go to WCW and work there as the Patriot. Eric Bischoff at this point was running WCW, and Eric worked for Vern in the AWA back when I did. Mm -hmm. Um, Eric did TV for us back then, so we knew each other from the AWA days. And uh, so once Eric got him control in WCW, he reached out to me. And uh, we sat down and talked, and he offered me a three-year deal, and I took it. So that's how I ended up in WCW.
0: Well, I really appreciate you taking the time to speak with us today and answering that question, Death, as you had. I actually misre- uh, I misread it. My question was, after some time in Global and then Japan, you ended up in WCW, how did that come about? So uh, even though I butchered the question, you still answered it perfectly. <laughs> so I appreciate that very, very much um and you know i kid you not yet again global like you said it was on tv i remember watching it i remember liking it a lot of those guys went on to, went on to do big things uh booger t with the harlem heat um Mick foley spent a little bit of time there i guess we had earlier this week barry Howard's was there raven was there uh scott hudson so just really a ton of talent at that time in gwf during your time in wcw you had a a, a tag title reign with a guy by the name of marcus alexander bagwell At the time, he was a young, fresh, rookie kind of type. Like I said, you were there. You had a million-dollar body with with, uh, the Patriot gimmick. There was really no way you guys could go wrong. What was it like working with Bagwell and that entire angle?
1: Well, I enjoyed working with Bagwell. Um, You had mentioned all the talent that was uh, a part of the GWF. Marcus was one of those as well. He worked as a handsome stranger in global. Uh, He wasn't but about 19 or 20 years old. And... um, Again, Bill Indy and Joe Petasino came up with the idea uh, of the handsome stranger with the Zorro-like mask. And uh, he would walk to the ring uh, with, with a rose and hand out roses to the ladies. So he was this Casanova-type character. And then fast forward to when I get to WCW, and I went in as a singles wrestler. Uh, but after I'd been there for a while, uh, there were some good tag teams in WCW at the time. Harlem Heat, pretty wonderful with Paul Roma, Paul Orndorff. Uh, there was also the Nasty Boys. Uh, and there were several others. Very good tag teams there. So tag teams were still a big part of WCW at that time. So they decided, and when I say they, they were doing booking by committee and guys like Kevin Sullivan, Ric Flair, Bischoff, Greg Ganya, uh, Dusty Rhodes were all part of the booking committee, and uh, they came to me with the idea of putting Bagwell and I together, and I was good with it uh, because, like I said, there was still a lot of good tag teams there, a lot of good tag team action, and um, we worked with a lot of great teams. We had the belts twice. So, um, you know, at first it was a good thing, um, but, you know, after a while, after about a year and a half of it, it, it sort of. They sort of changed course. They scored that big coup when they got Hogan away from Vince, and they brought Hogan in, and they brought Savage in, and they brought Beefcake in. Uh, I think they even brought Duggan in. They brought a lot of that older, uh, established WWF talent in and, uh, and sort of made them the focal point of the company and sort of put the rest of us on the back burner. But for about the first year and a half, it was it was a good thing.
0: You know, it's amazing, Dell, because I think a lot of people are going to think we're sitting right next to each other. You just touched on the very next question that I had. I think it's it's incredible, the, the same wavelength we're on today. Uh, my next question was right along those exact lines. I said, during your time there, WCW started bringing in some very big names from the WWF, such as Hawk Hogan, The Macho Man, Hacksaw Jim Duggan, The Honky Talk Man, and various others. How was that perceived? Yeah, I mean, it's on, it's on, it's like you're sitting right next to me, right? So, uh, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, how was that perceived, basically? Because again, I mean, you'd been working your ass off. Excuse me, you've been working your butt off. You were in Japan. Um, you know, you've done everything. You have paid your dues by this point, and yet here come these guys who just kind of take all the top spots. How was that perceived?
1: Well, you know, I understand when you when you score a big coup like that and you get Hogan away from Vince, which nobody thought would be possible, but you're able to do it and you bring in Savage. I mean, I, I can understand, you know, uh, making those guys sort of the center of your company and, uh, and the lead horse. But still, there's a lot of good surrounding talent that is still there that can do a lot of good things. And it was just, we were just put on the back burner and really became an afterthought. And I was making good money, but I didn't get into business. Obviously, uh, the great money was, was a wonderful thing, but I got into business because I loved it and I wanted to be used in a proper way and I felt that I had something to offer. And, uh, you know, after about a year and a half, you could see that, that um, those of us that were there pre-Hogan uh, really were just, you know, sort of put on the shelf and not really put a lot of thought and consideration into it. So at that time, um, I had left Baba. When I left old Japan to go to work for, for, for Bischoff and WCW, I left Baba on very good terms. I was very open and honest with him about, you know, being in negotiations with WCW and the chance to go to work for him. And as a result, I left on good terms. Um I reached back out to them and said, look, I'm, I'm, I'm unhappy here in WCW. Uh, again, I think I was a year and a half, maybe a little over a year and a half into a three-year deal. And uh, I said, uh, you know, what would be the possibilities of coming back? Well, I, they wanted me back and, you know, welcomed me back with open arms. So I went to Bischoff. I had a meeting with him And I said, look, dude, I said, I've got about a year and a half, maybe a little, left, a little less, left on my three-year deal. You're not doing anything with me. I want to go back to Japan. I'll work there. I'll be on the other side of the world. WCW fans will not see me because at that time, the only way you could get all Japan wrestling was through trading tapes. Uh, Obviously, Japan wrestling didn't come on here in the States on TV. I said, so I'm not going to be a threat to you in any way, shape, or form. I mean, I just want to go work and and be used in a good way. I said, so... If you'll let me out of this, the rest of this deal, I'll walk and uh, I'm gone. And uh, you won't have to worry about me. I just want to go work there. Well, he wouldn't do it. He wouldn't let me out of the deal. And I could have stayed there and kept making good money. I had, I had a chance to make great money in Japan, too. But, again, it wasn't about the money. It was about being used in a way where you thought you could be a part of a team and a part of a company and be a meaningful part of the team and company so uh, upon Eric's refusal to let me out of the latter part of my deal, I left anyway. Um, I had worked it out with Baba um, to um, do a three-week tour and to go back to work with him full-time. Uh, I had an obligation to my tag team partner, Bagwell, to let him know we were supposed to be at, a, I think, a live event on TBS, uh, if I'm not mistaken, maybe in Tupelo, Mississippi. And uh, I told back Marcus, I said, bro, I'm not going to be there, I'm done. I'm going back to Japan, and uh, I didn't tell anybody else. I just left, just walked. And uh, so then I went back to Japan. And uh, they, um, when I say they, WCW sent some threatening letters and threatening phone calls and uh, to me, uh, to Mr. Baba. And I was of the mindset, if you just ignore them, they'll eventually go away and quit sending letters and phone calls. And, and they did. So they never tried to do anything legally to, you know, hold me to that
0: that I see that's incredible too, because I was going to ask you what led you leaving WCW. So you nailed that one as well. Now here, here's a question I've wanted to ask you um, even long before I started doing podcasts and long before I started doing uh, interviews. But this is something that I've always wondered about, especially now. You know, I see a lot of your posts on social media, and everything you say, I agree with. You know, with current events and different political things and and, and so on and so forth. I pretty much agree with everything you say. So. Here's my question when it comes to the WWF. You landed with the WWF in 1997, the summer of 1997, and this was in the midst, okay, of one of their edgiest periods ever. The Attitude Era was just getting off the ground. They were doing some pretty adult like things, and they bring you in as the American hero. What was that like coming into that kind of environment where you knew McMahon and they were about to try some crazy things, and you just had to be that pure, wholesome, you know, white bread? hero was that tough or was that something that you just you looked forward to
1: well when I first got there you know they they had gotten a little edgier but they hadn't jumped all the way into the deep end of the pool yet uh, that happened after a couple of months and and I don't hold me to this but for some reason I I'm, I'm thinking we're in Albany New York I know it was TV it was a Monday night and uh, after I'd been there a couple of months and Vince held a meeting with with the talent, with the roster, with the agents, with everybody. And uh, he said, starting tonight, we're going to start blurring lines. He said, what used to be good going to be bad. What used to be bad going to be good. Uh, he said wrestling has traditionally had the, uh, the good guy wearing the white cowboy hat and the, black, and the bad guy wearing the black cowboy hat. Where you can easily identify good and bad, uh, good and evil. And he said, we're not going to do that anymore. We're going to change all this up. We're going to get more adult oriented. We're going to get more edgy. And um, I uh, I wasn't that crazy about it from that point on. Uh, you know, when I would get to TV on Mondays, they started incorporating more of the scantily dressed women and more sexual overtones, and the language got tougher. And, of course, you know, Austin was already using some pretty tough language and slamming beers together and... So when you get the TV on Mondays, there's this big chalkboard, and it's got the entire lineup for the show. Back then, the show started at nine o'clock instead of eight, and it went from nine to eleven, or a little after eleven. Of course, it's live TV, and on this chalkboard, they would have a complete lineup. So you knew that. I say I got there, and I see the lineup. I'm working with Bret Hart. Our match starts at ten thirty-seven, and it ends at ten fifty-seven. Uh, So I know exactly how long I'm going to be in the ring, what time it starts, what time it ends. Well, I would call home because I had two young boys at the time. I'd call home and let my wife know, this is what I'm on. This is the only time the kids can watch the show. So I was already having to monitor the show with with kids that were mine, that I didn't want watching adult-oriented content. And um, so I didn't do that kind of stuff with my character. But I felt like I... did well there. I mean, not maybe two weeks after being there, if that, uh, you know, Vince came to me with the idea of putting Brett and I together. And, you know, Brett had just turned heeled and was starting to badmouth the American people and the American way of life. So what a perfect fit, you know, it's just hand in glove with Brett and I together. And uh, and we had success with that. So I was able to, to, you know, thrive. Uh, regardless of all the other edgy stuff that was going on around me with this like you said squeaky clean character uh, it still was a good thing in 1997 to love your country and to be patriotic it may not be that way today a popular thing to love your country and be patriotic but it was in 97.
0: well it should be, <laughs> not... it
1: should always be absolutely
0: yeah not to get me off on that subject trust me and, and like I said um, I, I agree with everything I've seen you post. I just, I couldn't agree more with with, with your uh, your ideology because it's it's how I was raised. Quite frankly, being 39 years old, um, I, my whole life I've lived that way. So it, it blows my mind the direction certain parts of this country is headed. Just sickens me. But I, I do want to ask you this: as as I sit here uh, with a Bret Hart water bottle right next to me, my really my all time favorite former, um, is is Bret Hart. What was it like to work with him uh, amongst all the other stuff that was going on? What was it like to share a ring with him? Because he truly was one of the greats.
1: Oh, he was. And uh, it was fun working with Brett. Brett was uh, was easy to work with. Brett approached the business the same way I did, very serious about what we did. We took our work and our craft very serious. Uh, I went to the ring to entertain people. He did, too. But, you know, in a way, where we wanted people to look at what we did as, as believable as possible. Um you know, we were serious about our work and and people looking at it and the believability of it. And working with Brett was a lot like working in Japan. I worked in Japan two different occasions for Mr. Baba for probably a total of about four years. And it was a very it was a very strong style in all Japan back in the 90s. It was a very physical style. Um, Our TV shows, uh, which came on every Sunday night for an hour, had no interviews no promos there were no managers no valets every match in all japan had a clean finish there was no gimmick matches no gimmick finishes everything ended with a one two three and um, so as a result of that cutting out all the other forms of entertainment such as promos and the valets and the managers and all this extra stuff and extra fluff you sold tickets based on the believability of the product between those ropes. And Brett worked the same way. And uh, so it was an easy transition working with Brett. And uh, we had a lot of good matches together. And um, I uh, enjoyed working with him. He was a great guy to work with, fun guy to work with. And he sort of felt the same way about the approach that Vince was taking with the business that I did. He wasn't a big fan of it, of this edgy, uh, sort of a more raunchy, thing that was going on there and of course um, we spent a lot of time together brett and i did because we worked together so much and you know this was uh, when he and brett he and um he and sean were getting along so you know i was uh, so around for that and, and, and you know just saw that there was some serious friction and heat between the two guys and and um you know the direction that the company was taking
0: I have one last question uh, for you, and I want to thank you again for your time today. Before I get to that last question, though, I'm going to throw out a a really quick side bonus question I wasn't planning on asking, simply because you just brought it up. Was it uncomfortable to be around that situation with with Brett and Sean and all the backstage politics going on, or was it just part of the job?
1: No, it was just just part of the job. Um, It was obvious that it was there, but it didn't prevent at that point anybody from going out and doing their job i mean you knew it was there uh you knew it existed but uh you just went out every night you did what you had to do and you did your job and uh you know and and there were so many things going on with vince at that time there were so many other uh side things going on you know there was brian pillman and he was going through the problems he was going through um you know and, and which would eventually lead to him losing his life and then there was brett and sean and it was just a lot of stuff going on at the time but you learn to put all that aside and focus on what you got to do and uh just go to work every night and i can't change any of that stuff it's uh out of my control out of my power so i go out every night and, and perform to the best of my ability
0: yeah absolutely like a true professional would so last question for you here um, kind of a two-pronged question. Where can, fa- where can fans find you today on social media? Where can they watch your podcast? I'm a fan of it. I enjoy it. Um, I just want you to be able to plug whatever you can. And basically, what are they going to learn You know, if they watch the, the documentary Behind the Mask or if they watch your podcast? What things are they going to learn about Del Wilkes that maybe a lot of fans never even realized?
1: Well, you can catch me on Facebook, uh, you know, Dell Wilkes, my Facebook page, my personal Facebook page. That's also where you can watch the podcast, Unmasking the Truth, which is every Sunday night at 8 o'clock uh, on my Facebook page, Dell Wilkes, also on that of my co host, Avi Klein. And um, so you can catch that there. Uh, you can also go to my website, Dell. D-E-L, DelThePatriotWilks.com, and you can get all your merchandising, t-shirt, pictures, cards, um, uh, photos. Also, the documentary that came out a few years back, uh, Behind the Mask, um, that's on the website as well, DelThePatriotWilks.com. I think when you look at the documentary, what you're going to see is basically my life, uh, my entire life, Uh, the good, the bad, the ugly, the indifferent, Uh, Some of the things that I went through uh, near the end of my career and after my career ended, some of the hardships that were self-inflicted. But you'll also see a story of a guy that was able to find redemption, uh, to get his life back together, um, build a personal relationship with the Lord, with his family. Uh, I think you'll see by watching the documentary, if you get the documentary, and by watching the podcast on Sunday nights, uh, that Del Wilkes, while different from a character called The Patriot, still have a lot of similarities. Uh, two, two, two different people or two different characters or two different personalities, but both of them are tremendously in love with their country. I'm very proud to be an American. I'm very proud of my country. I'm not one of these people that uh, is ashamed of the country I live in. I think it's the greatest country that's ever existed. It's the greatest country on the planet. Uh, it's. Uh, I'm proud to be an American. It's not a perfect place, but it's the best thing going. And I'm proud of the conservative principles that I stand for and always have been. I'm thankful that I was brought up in a home that uh, parlayed those principles into me from my mom and dad. And I uh, think you'll see that the character of the Patriot and the real guy, Dale Wilkes, are pretty much one and the same.
0: Absolutely. And, uh, again, from from watching your podcast, watching the documentary, seeing the different things you post I, I would have to agree with that completely i want to thank you again i want to wish you you know a blessed day moving forward here we thank you very much for coming on the show and i want to give a shout out to the fans as well to let them know that you know that that um podcast network that he's on they have some tremendous talent And not only dell but they have mike Drosy, uh they have our guest from yesterday bill Demott, uh ken Patera. i know you guys are trying to work something out with um mark henry so really a lot of great things going on there with that network. Everybody's going to want to check that out. Uh, Dell, again, sir, I cannot thank you enough for being the person you are, the inspiration to myself my children. Thank you very much, and I want to wish you the best of luck.
1: Well, I appreciate it, and thank you having, for having me on. And I uh, hope you have a good afternoon, man. I appreciate it.
0: Absolutely. Have a great day. So that was right. Dell Wilkes, the Patriot. Uh, you guys remember him uh, from the days of... Well, I do, at least, from AWA and GWF. But maybe for some younger fans, certainly WCW and the WWF at that time. Like he said, he's lived an amazing life. You know, A lot of ups, some downs. Check out that documentary to find more. Look him up on Facebook. And I think you very much will be pleased with the message that he brings. All right, that will do it for now. Up later this week, we have a scheduled interview with Dory Funk Jr., trying to get that nailed down for an exact time and big names to come this uh, summer we're working on don't want to give away too many spoilers but believe me when I tell you some very big names down the road as was today and we want to thank our guest one more time the Patriot Dale Wilkes I am Vince McKee you've been listening to the Keon Sports Media Group
1: You've been listening to Keon Sports Media Group.